This inspiring message comes to you from Impact Church in Kingston, Ontario, where we are committed to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. My message is called Living Large in the Spaciousness of God's Love. And um, for every person who is here who does not have any breathing issues, um, would you do me a favor? And I, and I promise this is not some yoga type of thing. So would you just, you know, hold your breath for a second? And then exhale. And that's breathing. Inhale and exhaling. And, you know, the interesting thing is that just in that, that momentary inhaling and exhaling, the Bible says that God holds that very breath, that he sustains it, and that if he were not holding it and sustaining it, that breath would no longer be there. Isn't that amazing that something so simple that we often take for granted is actually sustained by the most powerful, omniscient, omnipotent God, the God of the universe. And it's actually within his control, but it's, it's slightly within our control naturally, but spiritually and overall, our very breath is in the hand of God, and he's the one that, that sustains it. Um, and just as I had you inhale there, and I had you hold your breath just a little bit longer than I would have normally, and the reason is, is because recently, I've been going through an awful lot of ultrasounds. And I don't know if you've been to an ultrasound where, say, they're, like, checking out your kidneys or something like that. They literally make you go, hold, okay, hold your breath. And they keep making you hold your breath. <laughs> and then finally they say, okay, you can exhale. And you're like, oh, thank God. <laughs> I didn't think I was going to make it. Your face turns red. You start to get a headache, you know, those kinds of things. Um, so I just wanted you to experience a little bit of that alongside of me. Um, but uh, I don't want to be alone. We're in this together. Um, it's good. Um, so yeah, so I've been experiencing that a, a lot lately. And then, um, as I was starting this message, I was reminded back to a time when I was a child and I used to love climbing trees. And so I was climbing this tree this one day and I was out in the yard by myself. Um, and I fell out of the tree and I landed on my back and, and I, re- I can, I, I can feel that moment. <laughs> Um, I remember it so clearly when I when I fell, and I would say it was probably about 12 feet, um, and I landed on my back, and I remember the breath going out of me, and it was literally like I could, I remember the thud, and then I remember the, ah, uh, and that was it. Like, and my sister, so my old, my sister, she was 10 years older than I was, she was upstairs in our bedroom with the window open, it was in the summertime, and she heard the thud, and she heard the breath go out of me, and then she said she was terrified and came running down because she didn't hear me start breathing again. And so my, my sister and my mom, they came running out, and they, they found me, and I was, still was not breathing by the time they got out there. It had just knocked the breath right out of me. Um, and then, of course, as they, as they came over and they were talking to me, I, start, I just was like... <laughs> And then the breath started coming back again, and then it was just starting to regulate again. Um, but it's interesting to me how there are, there are even certain things in our lives that it just comes, and, it, and we, we, we fall or it hits us, and there's just this thud. Ugh! And then there's just this gut-wrenching, like, ah, the, your breath is just knocked out of you. And you don't know how to get that back. And, and, and sometimes it's that little, little process of... Okay, taking those few gulps, and then, okay, you're starting to breathe again, and it's starting to regulate again. Um, And then I had one other story that I wanted to talk with you about breath. And to be honest, I feel like I'm standing uh, in a divine moment this morning. So when I was born, I was... um, I was born two months early, so I was a preemie, so I was born at seven months instead of nine months. And um, my mom was actually not supposed to have me. I was an an oops, but I'm not an oops. We know that. God loves me. 
He divinely ordained me. Um, but to my mom and my dad, who the doctors had said, you cannot have any more children. And I'm the youngest of six biological children. Um, five, four sisters, five, yeah, six of us. <laughs> and then I have three foster sisters. Um, and so my, they said, like, do not have any more kids. So the closest one next to me in my, in my, in my siblings is six years older than I am. So by the time I came along, I was an oops. My mom was 39. And um, they actually had to um, suture me in the uterus so that the fetus, I wouldn't fall out as a fetus. Um, and then my mom ended up having a cesarean section at seven months. I actually don't know the story of, of what it was that took her in at seven months. I don't know if it was me or her. Probably both, because we were connected at that stage. <laughs> um, but anyway, so I, I was, um, and there's two different stories here from my siblings. So um, I was either born not breathing, or I was born breathing and then I stopped. And anyway, um, so the doctors end up having to, to take me away and to try to resuscitate me. Um, and apparently they had tried for a long time to resuscitate me, and I did not get my breath back. I did not, I was... The doctors actually were walking away from me, um, and they had already declared me dead and were walking away out of the room when one of the doctors apparently had turned back around and he saw my eyes flicker, and he said to the rest of the team, she's alive. And they came back and they began to continue to work on me. Um, and so I was resuscitated at that point. And I was then, because I had been out I had been um, not breathing for so long, and I didn't have oxygen to the brain for a certain length of time. Um, I was supposed to be in a very challenged state. Um, and, and as I jokingly say, my husband might say I still am. Um, and yeah, tip, he's not in the room right now. Um, <laughs> um, and he likes to tease me about that. But apparently... I'm not. <laughs> um, and that doctor actually used to call my mom every year, once a year, until I was in grade 10. He used to call me his miracle baby. And he'd call to say, hey, how's my miracle baby doing? And um, apparently I, I was doing quite well. So I don't have any of those repercussions as far as I can tell from having not been breathing as a baby. But um, later on in years, during worship, and I had been asking God, like, what happened in that moment? And there was a moment in worship, just like I was saying earlier, where something just kind of impacts you. And you know, oh, God has just spoken that to me so deeply. Um, I was listening to this one song, and I felt like God just came and he, along and he just said, Rachel, in that moment, what I spoke over you was life, life, liberty. So he breathed his breath and he spoke his breath over me, and he said, life, life, freedom, liberty. And I feel today like God is wanting to do the same thing with each one of you, that there are things in your life that are, are dead, and it doesn't feel like it could ever be resurrected, that it feels like there are things that are dying, and you're not sure if it's going to live. And I feel like God is coming and wanting to breathe his breath over you and speak life, life, liberty, freedom over you and into those situations this morning. Amen? Awesome. So today I feel uh, like there are four types of people here uh, that are represented here. So number one, those who are not breathing and therefore not living. You feel like your life is empty right now, like it might be a shell, like you are, you are living and you are breathing, um, or sorry, not breathing, and you just feel empty. And I feel like God is wanting to come and just stir over you again and stir up that life and stir up that breath, stir up a knowledge of who he is uh, inside of you. Um, the second type of person is those whom are barely breathing and you feel like you are surviving but you are not thriving. This is really, really important in our walk with God, that he doesn't want us to just be a surviving people. He wants us to be a thriving people. And he wants us to be thriving even in the midst of difficult circumstances. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, the third person is those who think they are breathing but are not. And um, I love this quote, actually. Um, and for those who know me, I love butterflies. I, I have butterflies everywhere. I haven't always liked butterflies, but I do now because it talks about transformation. But this particular quote, it has um, 
it had come up with a picture of a butterfly on it, and the quote is this, sometimes you don't realize the weight of what you are carrying until it is lifted off of you. Isn't that good? I love that. Um, years ago, so um, I'm 47. I um, experienced sexual abuse as a child, three, five, again, 11, multiple um, less traumatic scenarios in between. And when I came to Christ and then God started to heal me, um, I was just learning, like, how does, how does God transform a person? How does he heal somebody? How does he set him free? Um, and honestly, I didn't even know what I was carrying until there was one day, um, my background is in behavioral science, and I was doing um, a placement at a public school. And I was just sitting at the back of the classroom and just observing the classroom. And suddenly in that moment, I suddenly went, <gasps> and, I, and I gasped. And I realized, oh my goodness, I haven't been breathing. I was in that moment carrying the stress and the weight of, of the, the wounds that that sexual abuse had caused in my life, and it, and it was causing me to, to not breathe, that I would literally hold my breath and not even know I was doing it until I was gasping for that air. And it was in that moment that God kind of revealed to me how much weight I was carrying. And I just feel like there are those that are in this room that you can relate to that. That even today, you might even right now be feeling that, you know what? Okay, if I were to try to regulate my breathing, if I were to try to take that deep breath, I realize, oh my goodness, I've been holding my breath. I'm, I'm holding it in. I feel like God's wanting to just relax you this morning. He wants to give you that moment to just breathe, to wet, let that weight just be lifted off of you, whatever that situation or scenario would be. Um, and then number four, and although this is a category in and of itself, I believe it still encapsulates encap all of the other three that I just mentioned, and that is this. Those who are breathing but want to go deeper and higher. Um, and the reason why I'm pinpointing that one as a category in and of itself, but also together with all the others, is that wanting to go deeper in God, wanting to go higher in God, knowing that there is more of God's presence to have, is because if you go deeper, so for example, if you go deeper in the ocean, you need a different type of oxygen level in order to sustain yourself there. If you want to go higher, if you're going to climb a mountain, then you have to have a different level of oxygen to sustain you in that place, right? So I believe that that is a category of people in and of themselves, but it also encapsulates all of those who are in those other categories who are also needing that kind of breath to enter in. And I believe that God is going to take us into those deeper, higher places uh, today. Um, and I'm so looking forward to what God is going to do. Um, so as I mentioned earlier, I do a lot of counseling and uh, connecting with people. And lately, I've been... Um, experiencing people trying to explain to me what's going on in their life and how they're feeling. And um, as I've been kind of like listening to them and I'm, and I'm mapping along with, oh, okay, that person has said that and that, this person has said that and another person has said this. The metaphor that I have come up with, and I've spoken actually to a couple of people of this metaphor, um, is the metaphor of a grave. Um, and, and it's actually helpful, I know this is going to sound kind of strange at first, but it's been helpful to help people describe how they're feeling right now. So if you could picture, um, you know, somebody who is, is um, alive, but in a coffin and in a grave. So they feel like they're in darkness. They feel hungry and thirsty. They feel panic and desperate. They feel like, I don't know how to get out of here. And they are struggling. And in that struggling, they're losing their breath. In that struggling, they know there's only so much oxygen left in this place to, to keep me alive enough until I can find my way out. 
And in that metaphor and in that way that people have been sharing with me how they're feeling because of circumstances in their life, um, I feel like what God is wanting to do is he's wanting to come alongside and speak over them that it's not about you struggling to get out. It's about needing somebody on the outside to dig you out. You know, sometimes we lose our breath and and we can't find our way through situations and circumstances because we just can't do it. We need God to come alongside and be the one, uh, literally a grave digger, (laughs) um, to come alongside and, and dig us out and to pull us out of those dark places, pull us out of those places that that uh, make us feel like we're suffocating and we can't survive. And I want to reference um, a scripture in Ezekiel chapter 37, 1 to 5, and I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. Um, and we sang a song this morning about um, bones um, coming to, to life and God breathing the breath into them. And uh, I think it's so prevalent then to, for what I'm speaking this morning. Um, so Ezekiel, when he's speaking this passage in um, chapter 37, he's actually speaking, he's prophesying. So he's in a vision. Uh, he's not actually not speaking over a people, but he's in a vision that God has put him in, and he's speaking over a valley of dry bones. And those dry bones represent the house of Israel. So that's the nation of Israel, for those who are not familiar with this story. And that nation of Israel at this time was in captivity in Babylon. They were not in the land that God had promised them. They had been taken captive. They were in bondage. They had lost all hope. And God was beginning to give this vision to Ezekiel. In the, and he was there too, although he had a, a heart for God and he had a relationship with God. That didn't exempt Ezekiel from being in bondage and captivity with God's people. And God does that sometimes because he needs not only for the Holy Spirit to come from the outside to dig us out, but he needs a believing people full of faith on the inside that say, in the midst of my circumstances, I believe, God, that you will come through for us, that you will bring hope and life and resurrection. And Ezekiel, he says this, the Lord took hold of me, and I was carried away by the Spirit of the Lord to a valley filled with bones, and he led me all around among the bones that covered the valley floor. They were scattered everywhere across the ground and were completely dried out. Then he asked me, son of man, can these bones become living people again? O sovereign Lord, I replied, only you alone know the answer to that. And I say, amen, smart man. (laughs) Sometimes, you know, when God comes and starts to speak us and and we go, oh, God, I know what you're going to do. I know how you're going to do that. I know it's going to be this way and that way. And God, you're going to do it this way. Um, Instead of just going, oh, God, only you alone know. That's wisdom. That's wisdom. Ezekiel goes In verse 4, it says, Then he said to me, Speak a prophetic message to these bones and say, Dry bones, listen to the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. Look, I'm going to put breath into you and make you live again. What I want to pull out even in that, in that brief verse is this, is that when you are in a death dis- situation, don't just jump in and do what you think needs to be done. Wait to hear what the Spirit of God is telling you to do. Um, I just want to briefly just clarify what prophecy means so I can just break it down into its simplicity. It's basically God coming alongside and saying, this is where you are, this is where I see you, are going to be, I'm going to prophesy the end from the beginning. I'm going to speak your end from your beginning. It's like a train. If God were overseeing a train or if you were over top of a train, you could see the end of the train from the beginning of the train. Think of, think of prophecy that way. And, and God is saying to you today, I'm prophesying over you. He's speaking the end from the beginning. Whatever you see in your life that seems dead, that needs resurrection, he's prophesying over that. I am going to breathe life into it and bring it to life again. Then in verse 12 and 14, God goes on to say, he says, I will open your graves. 
I will put my spirit in you and you will come to life. I love that. His word is so emphatic. So it's not about us struggling to do it. It's about God coming on the outside to do it. And he says, I will open that grave. I will put that, my spirit in you, and then you will come to life. Amen? So over your circumstances, even this morning, you can say, it will come to life. Why? Because he's going to do it. Um, I love God's word. It's so awesome. Um, So this morning... For this retreat, um, it's been declared that this is a just breathe retreat. So obviously, I feel like God is prophesying, just breathe. So in that moment of just breathing, we're resting, we're relaxing into God, we're saying, God, we can't do it, only you can. So God, come And just you open the grave. You bring that breath. You do it, God. I just need to breathe today. Amen? So when God speaks just breathe, he's not only telling us what to do, but how he's going to bring us to life. So, you know, in that prophecy that God gave to Ezekiel, um, ultimately God was prophesying his covenant love over them. So he'd already had promises. He'd already had a covenant with them. He'd already um, spoken things and um, future. He had spoken a a hope over them already. And he's coming in the midst of, of this moment when they're in a place of utter despair. We're in this bondage. We're in this captivity. We're not in our promised land anymore. We're, we're even isolated from our relationship with God. There's a, there's a distance there. And God comes into those moments. And he's the one that begins to speak the hope. He's the one that begins to, to speak that life over them. And he's speaking it through his prophet Ezekiel. He talks about the, the faith of Abraham and that he's going to bring, the, he's in this particular vision. It's a prophecy that not only is he going to, in the natural, bring Israel back to their promised land, but in the spiritual, he's prophesying the salvation of Jesus Christ. He's prophesying that, yes, the Messiah that you've heard me speak about is truly coming. There is a hope that is coming that's going to bring you into that fulfillment that I've been prophesying over you. He's prophesying the death, the burial the dry bones, the resurrection life of Jesus Christ coming to not only resurrect Israel, but to resurrect a Gentile nation. And we are all Gentiles, unless you're here and you're Jewish. <laughs> He's, we, ha- we are now sitting in the promise and the fulfillment of what Ezekiel ha- saw in his vision and prophesied over those bones. We are the promise of that prophecy. Isn't that amazing? So if God can do what he's already done now, what he's, what's happening in your life, he can certainly do. Amen? Amen. Awesome. Um, so in, in this, again, in this passage, it's a proclamation that Israel's circumstances, although it seemed like it was without hope or without life, unless God came and did something about it, um, that... You know, what I was taking even from this passage is that God, when God had Ezekiel go and and look at these dry bones, he actually needed Ezekiel to identify, yeah, they're they're dead. They're dry. There's no life in them. They're They're not coming back. You know, sometimes the way that God moves in our lives is that we actually have to acknowledge that either something is dying or it's already dead before God can begin to resurrect it and bring it back to life. For many of us, there are times and situations that we can kind of get confused about, you know, holding on to something and believing for something, and at the same time acknowledging that, you know what, this is just not working. This is not going to work. Um, but it's about coming to that that gut-wrenchingly acknowledgement of, Again, it's that I can't do it, 
and I need somebody outside of me to come and do it for me. Um, and obviously, that's God. Um, so again, we continue to need him to come and, and, and do that. Um, this Again, this passage is representing a need for one to come and breathe life as an outside source into those whom are dead because they cannot save themselves. You know, um, one of the other things I wanted to mention today is that um, if we need to breathe, you know, and, and, or catch our, and we cannot catch our breath, that sometimes it's not just about doing less. It can be even that you're, you need to do, or doing more even, but it's just about allowing God uh, to know that we need him to come and, and do it for us. So sometimes we think, okay, well, even I, if I could just do less in my life, that will bring that breath there. But sometimes it's not just about doing less. It's maybe God doesn't want you to do less, but it's about him wanting you to know that you are dependent upon him and you need him to come and, and do that for you. Um, Interesting tidbit as I was walking through um, this message is um, I came across a few sources that described in Hebrew symbols, so um, that the word love in Hebrew symbols are silent. They're, they're a sound. And um, they, the Jewish people, they describe it as literally like a breath. It's an inhaling and an exhaling sound that are the Hebrew symbols for love. And um, the meaning of it is that it designates the kind of love that is the breath of another, as when God breathed life into Adam. Can you imagine that even in the beginning of time, when God breathed the breath into humanity, that he breathed not only life, but he breathed in love. He breathed in the agape love of God, our heavenly Father. So that breath that you took this morning that is being sustained by God is a breath of the love of the Father over you. And in the natural, I feel like he's even wanting us to recognize that as we breathe in and as we breathe out, that not only are we breathing life, but it is the love of God that is filling us and he's wanting to flow through us onto our world around us. And uh, he's wanting to even, re as he renews that breath, he's wanting to renew the love of God over our lives this morning. Um, so I have a question for us this morning, and that is, what has taken your breath this morning? Is it financial pressure? Maybe it's health, health issues. Maybe it's relationship struggles. Um, maybe it's just the busyness of, and I was speaking actually to a few ladies this morning at, a, at one of the tables, and I was saying, you know, you know, just allow God to just love on you today, to give you a moment of breath. And because you know what? As women, we carry a whole, we carry a whole lot of hats and roles and responsibilities, and maybe that's something this morning that's just taking your breath away. That you've got, you've got this thing you have to do and this thing you have to do and this responsibility and that role. And you have to put on this hat for that and then you have to put on this other hat for that. And I feel like maybe this morning God is, gonna, is wanting to identify that's the thing that's kind of taking your breath this morning. And again, he's not saying you need to do less per se. But it could be just allowing that love of God to be breathed in you this morning in such a way that it gives you that strength to continue to do what you need to do. Um, another question I had is what caused you potentially to wake up with worry, with anxiety and stress? Um, and I, as I was preparing this message, I felt like God was just kind of laying on my heart that there was going to be somebody here that you feel like um, you're you are anxious. And I felt like God was um, just kind of revealing to me that it's actually your anxiety. It's almost like you feel propelled against your will um, to be in stressful situations. And, that I, and he, it's creating anxiety. And I feel like God is wanting to free somebody from that. That it's, it's, it's actually, you think it's in the natural, 
but it's actually in the spiritual, that it's actually the enemy that is pushing you and compelling you to potentially make unwise decisions. And in those unwise decisions, it's creating a whole lot of anxiety and stress and worry. Um, So if that's you and it's hitting you, then just go, okay, God, thank you for that. And know that by the end of today, he's going to lift that off you and he's going to break that for you this morning. Um, other things like what, what have you been been watching Netflix at 3 a.m. on? Why? Um, what has you eating or drinking what you know isn't healthy for you? What has you staying so busy that you can't breathe because you're afraid if you slow down, you'll have to think about some things and maybe feel again. I think even today, God is wanting to stir feelings in people again. That he's wanting to go, you know what? You've been holding on and holding together for so long that those feelings that you have suppressed, I actually want to surface those because it's actually in the allowance of surfacing of those feelings that you're going to find your healing. Um, you know, what I, I want to kind of branch into is... Um, I want us to recognize that we all have circumstances in our lives. So there isn't even one of us here that does not have a circumstance or a situation uh, in our lives that is potentially affecting us. And um, But in those circumstances, if allowed, then those circumstances have a way of throwing us into chaos and into confusion. Um, Stacy, could you please ask the hotel to turn the heat down in here, potentially? If you, Stacy, did you happen to, Stacy's not. Any, oh, could you, would you mind asking the front desk to do that? Thank you. I see a few ladies going like this, and I know I'm hot up here, so. With the doors closed, it kind of makes it a little toasty in here. Um, I, so, circumstances, then, if allowed... They can, we can be thrown into chaos and confusion. And obviously, for those of us who know how the enemy works, he loves to throw us into chaos and confusion. God is a God of peace in the midst of chaos, potentially. And the enemy loves to put us in the center of chaos and confusion and just kind of keep us there. And that puts us in a place of anxiety and worry and stress and not being able to breathe. And I kind of want to speak into that a little bit today because we sometimes have to see where God or the enemy is working in order to allow God to then bring healing and wholeness. And um, I want to just uh, separate that word circumstance. So the prefix circum actually means to be encircled or around. And the suffix stance means to stand or have a posture. So we could actually say that the word circumstance is to stand encircled all around with issues. So I'm actually standing in a circumstance and all of those, those circum, circum things are, are around me. Okay, So that's what a circumstance is. Um, so many of us have circumstances that are encircling and surrounding us that have been, have been and are constricting our very life source, and which is our breath. And I want to touch on one explanation for that this morning. So often we talk about natural things, but I really felt like God was wanting to highlight the spiritual aspect of circumstances, the spiritual aspect that we don't often... Um, address. We like to address things in the natural, and for the most part, we we really should. But there are just moments where we know that it's a spiritual thing that is potentially coming up against us and affecting us. So in Ephesians 6 and 12, in the New International Version, it says this, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Um, so we do live in a world that is not only natural, has natural pressures, but it has spiritual ones as well. And I want to explain, for a few minutes, I want to explain the concept of constriction um, in the spiritual, but through the natural process of constriction. Does that make sense? Okay, so I want to use the concept of, of this, the snake, like boa constrictors, that kind of thing. So I, I looked up what constriction means and, and how the snakes do it. And it says this, constriction is a method used by various snake species to kill their prey. The snake coils itself around differing pressure points of the prey and it shuts off the blood flow and therefore the oxygen. 
needed by vital organs such as the heart and brain, leading to unconsciousness within seconds and cardiac arrest shortly thereafter. Constriction pressures are also thought to interfere with neural processings or thinking processes by forcing blood towards the brain. In other words, constriction can work by different mechanisms and varying pressures. It likely interferes with breathing at low pressures. It'll interrupt the blood flow and overwhelm the prey. Um, you, usually blood, blood pressure and circulation at moderate pressures, and then can interfere with our thinking process and damage tissues at high pressures. So there's different kind of pressure points even that they use. And you know, in the, in the natural, we see that with the snakes, and in the spiritual, the enemy loves to do that. He'll, he'll come alongside and he'll just you know, put a little bit of pressure, and then maybe he'll do a medium, and then maybe he'll try to go for the high. But he doesn't always try to kill us. Sometimes he just tries to, you know, leave us in a place of not being able to breathe and having anxiety and work and stress. Um, and um, also then, too, I wanted to just um, clarify that concept of pressure. And they describe it in the Webster's Dictionary as a continuous physical force exerted on or against an object by something in contact with it. So the enemy will use various pressures at various times to try and cut off our oxygen. Um, the enemy loves to pressure people, so they will shrink back in fear. And he tries to cause us to retreat, uh, to give up, to want to just disappear, uh, to not even show up in our own lives. I felt like God was really kind of pinpointing that. That for many of us, he's actually calling us to something. But the enemy's putting fear in there and wanting you to retreat so that you're not even showing up in your very own life. Um, there's a, a movie quote. I can't remember what the movie was from, but the, the quote was really good. And, and, um, and it was basically about a person that was going through a really difficult time in a relationship. And she went, she was speaking to a movie director. And the movie director said, why are you playing the second part when you should be the leading lady in your own life? And for her, that was just a defining moment of, of course, I should be, you know, the, the story is about me, so it's my life, so I need to be the leading lady. <laughs> so ladies, be the leading lady. You know, step up into your own life. The enemy's potentially uh, trying to keep you um, out of that through fear or causing you to want to retreat. Um, yeah, and the other thing actually, too, I wanted to mention in that is that uh, the enemy, too, will even go so far as to say, just live a quiet, good life. That's all that's required of you. No need to make any waves by sharing the good news of Jesus. Just live quietly, die quietly, and go to heaven. But I feel like God, you know, is wanting to not just breathe his breath over us of his love to, to cause us to come to life, but he then wants us to, to move towards living a large life. He wants us to step up into our lives so that we can then, then be transformed and then share that love and that life uh, with other people. Um, and obviously, the enemy is going to try to dampen that down and just go, no, just be saved. Don't speak about it. Just be saved and live your quiet little life and, and then die and go to heaven. And as long as you're there, you're okay. Um, but don't bring anybody else alongside of you. Um, but obviously, we know, no, God is wanting to... to call people into the kingdom. He wants to call more sons and daughters to be in his family so his family can grow. Um, the second thing I want to address, um, and I want to address the spiritual pressure and how to handle it through a passage in 2 Corinthians 6, 11 to 13. So just to recap, we know that there are natural circumstances and we know that there are spiritual circumstances. We know that there are natural ways to handle things or to understand what's going on in our lives. But we also then know that there is a spiritual aspect there. And that, of course, again, is, is what I'm coming from. In, in 2 Corinthians 6, 11 to 13 in the message, this is the Apostle Paul. And he's speaking to the church in Corinth. And um, he had previously written them a letter, uh, correcting them on a few things, but encouraging them all at the same time. Um, and in, the, in a portion of this, this um, encouragement back to them, 
um, he's letting them know, I know that that letter hurt you a little bit, but now I see that it has come to fruition and it has been really good and it has caused you to, to actually eventually have hope and encouragement and to come to life again and to be stirred again. Um, and then he continues to exhort them. And he's saying, he says this to them. He says, dear, dear Corinthians, I can't tell you how much I long for you to enter this wide open, spacious life. Um, And in verse 12, he says, we didn't fence you in. The smallness you feel comes from within you. I love the fact that he's correlating a spacious life and that we can live life seemingly, but in a small way, but God's calling us to live a large life. So I'm just going to read that again. Dear, Dear Corinthians, I can't tell you how much I long for you to enter this wide open, spacious life. We didn't fence you in. The smallness you feel comes from within you. So who here knows that sometimes we tend to engineer smallness in our lives? Like we, here in Kingston, it's easy to do sometimes. Or if we're in a smaller uh, town in and around this area, we can go, oh, well, I'm just a little old somebody from little old Kingston or little old Ganaquay or Harrismith or wherever we might be from. And I can't step out in a place of risk. I can't take on living a large life for God. I can't take on spreading the gospel because I'm just a little little person and we engineer that smallness in our lives we, we kind of grab a hold and allow the enemy to cause us to think that we are small and um, just wanted to give you a quick example so a few years ago my husband and I and my daughter we flew down to Australia we had another daughter that was living there and going to medical school so yay for her because that made us have to go to Australia um, but um, for, I don't, does anybody know Hillsong Church Yes, yeah, so quite a few people do. Okay, so I went to Australia, and I'm super excited to go to Hillsong. So I'm like, I get to see Brian Houston, and I get to hear the Hillsong worship, and this is going to be awesome. And I've flown, you know, 24 hours of flight, and it's taken me days to get here, and I'm exhausted, but we're going to get to go to Hillsong. This is fabulous. So um, we end up um, going to visit Hillsong, and we end up going to tour the, t- being able to go to two of, the, two of their services. And the whole time we're there, um, my husband um, and my daughter and myself were all like, we're ex- we were expecting something better, different, more powerful. And we walk out and we're like, I, I actually felt more during the worship at Impact Church, our home church in Kingston, than I did in, in Australia with Hillsong, who's a international around the world. And, and so I went before God and I said, God what's up with this? Like, although I didn't fly specifically for Hillsong, I did fly all around the world to, you know, to experience this. And in that moment, I felt like God said to me, I did it on purpose. I hid their glory so that you could see it wasn't them, it's me. It's not about you already being extraordinary and therefore you are. It's all about me taking the ordinary and making it extraordinary. And do you know what that did for me? That broke me out of my engineered smallness. And suddenly when I came back to Kingston, this little old me, I'm going, God, I can't do anything. But you can. You're extraordinary. I'm not extraordinary. But God, you are. So God broke me out of my smallness. And I feel like that's what the Apostle Paul was trying to get across to the Corinthians. He was saying, come into this wide, spacious, large life with God of being in his love in the midst of your circumstances. Come out of your your mentality of smallness. We didn't, um, you're not small, but you're living your life is small. And Paul is encouraging them to to rise up in that faith and to come out of it and to believe for more, to show up in their lives. Amen. Um, And an example out of the the Bible, too, in terms of the, you know, the enemy is always trying to make us feel small and insignificant. And when I was thinking about this, I was thinking about, you know, David. Um, we tend to go, you know, it's David and his battle with Goliath and the time that he took down Goliath. But I can say to you that David took Goliath down far earlier than when he was actually on the battlefield with Goliath. He took it down in, in his mental state of realizing that he, would, that he was 
um, an ordinary person with an extraordinary God, that he was maybe uh, like a small person that was isolated and rejected by his family and not even seen, but he had taken it down when he killed the lion and the bear. He had taken it down when he went and he... Um, he talked to his brothers, and his brothers had said to them, who do you think you are, David? That's those outside circumstances trying to make us feel small. And then he goes before Saul, and Saul is like, um, you're not able to go against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man. But David's like, no, I can. I have an extraordinary an extraordinary God. I want to live a large life. Let's take down Goliath. So the, the, uh, David actually dealt with the enemy in his mind of that sense of smallness prior to even getting on the battlefield when he could take down the giant. Um, so I feel like God this morning is even wanting to, to impart that to somebody this morning, that God is wanting to work that smallness mindset out of you so that you can know that you have an extraordinary God and he has things in store for you in the future to take down on the battlefield, but you're going to take it down uh, prior to with just a, a changing of that perspective uh, in your mental thinking. Um, you know, the apostle then goes on to say, he says, your lives aren't small, but you're living them in a small way. I'm speaking as plainly as I can and with great affection. Open up your lives. Live openly and expansively. Um, and the word spaciousness um, that is in that particular scripture that I had read earlier even means to be open. It means to be fresh. It means to be light. It means to have largeness. It means to be generous and sizable. Um, but the antonym of spaciousness is smallness. So, you know, the Apostle Paul was recognizing that God's calling them into this open, live large, spacious life in the midst of circumstances and things that might come against them and make them feel small. And he doesn't want them to allow that to attach itself to, him, to them. And interestingly, the synonym of open in this passage is the Greek word agape. It's the God kind of love. So what the Apostle Paul is saying when he's saying, open up your lives, live openly and expansively. He's saying, open up your lives to the love and the agape love of God. And in that love of God is where we come into that spaciousness of living, that even in the midst of those circumstances, we have this love of God just flowing into us and flowing out of us and flowing through us. And so the, the Apostle Paul is, is revealing that it's experiencing that expansiveness of God's love that allows us to then live openly and largely. And I just want to backtrack um, briefly uh, to 2 Corinthians 6, 1 and 10. So this particular passage, the Apostle Paul wrote just before he said, I want you to enter this wide open, spacious life, okay? So in chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Companions, as we are in this work with you, we beg you, please don't squander one bit of this marvelous life God has given us. God reminds us, I heard your call in the nick of time. The day you needed me, I was there to help. Well, now is the right time to listen, the day to be helped. Our work as God's servants gets validated or not in the details. People are watching as we stay at our post, alertly, unswervingly, in hard times, tough times, bad times, when we're beaten up, Jailed, mobbed, working hard, working late, working without eating, with pure heart, clear head, steady hand, in gentleness, holiness, and honest love. When we're telling the truth and when God's, power, God's showing his power, when we're doing our best setting things right, when we're praised, and when we're blamed, slandered, and honored, true to our word, though distrusted, Ignored by the world, but recognized by God. Terrifically alive, though rumored to be dead. Beaten within an inch of our lives, but refusing to die. Immersed in tears, yet always filled with deep joy. Living on handouts, yet enriching many. Having nothing, yet having it all. When I read this, Paul wrote that, and then he said... I want you to come and live in this wide open, spacious life. 
pardon? <laughs> the Apostle Paul is saying there's this, this contradiction of lifestyle in the wide open spacious life. And he's literally saying in the midst of having it all or having nothing, you will have it all when you have that expanse of love of God living inside of you. That uh, He goes on to say, we're terrifically alive, though rumored to be dead, beaten within an inch of our lives, but refusing to die. There's just this contradiction of lifestyle that, that the Apostle Paul is saying that as Christians here on earth, we live in these difficult circumstances, these things that try to take our breath, these things that try to squeeze us and to kill us and to, um, to remove us out of, out of uh, sharing the gospel. But then he says, I invite you to come into this wide open spacious life. You know, typically as Christians, we think, okay, victory all the way. No hard times, and that's the spacious life. But you know there is no victory without a battle. And God is saying, yes, there's a battle. Yes, there are circumstances. Yes, there are things that, that come against your life, and the enemy utilizes those. But I feel like he's wanting to say in the midst of those this morning, he's wanting to, to love on you. He's wanting to give you a new breath this morning. He's wanting to strengthen you, put his hope in you, so that you can know even in the midst of that, just as the Apostle Paul, just as Jesus lived this seemingly contrary life of these things coming against us. But then the love of God just comes and opens up our hearts into this spacious love of the Father, this spacious love of God that then brings a grace upon our lives that we've never known before. And um, I, re I just wanted to um, share um, briefly, and my goodness, my time is up and I've written way too much, but um, I'm just going to share then briefly my testimony, and I think I will probably end there. Um, so this past year and a half, um, probably a little bit longer, um, has been really, really difficult for me. And I'm sure there's a lot of you out there with that one either will resonate or you have experienced uh, situations or circumstances that are far beyond even what I could imagine. Um, but um, I've been experiencing out of the blue for about a year, year and a half at this point, maybe a little longer, um, migraines that kind of came out of nowhere that keep trying to now hinder. It's at the point where it's, you know, two, three times a month, and it's trying to hinder my time. It's trying to hinder my job. It's trying to hinder the gospel from going forward. And, and so that's been something I've been kind of dealing with. And um, Recently, I've had um, some very sick loved ones. So I have um, had three really sick, ill family members. And um, one has aggressive cancer, and one has um, kidney failure, uh, one um, recently deceased. Um, and then interpersonal relationships. It just seemed like, you know, suddenly not only were there migraines, not only were these loved ones so ill, um, but I had like interpersonal things going on where I'm like, what? You know, really, I'm pretty easy to get along with. <laughs> um, and then these these interpersonal things are cropping up and, and you know, people easily getting offended over certain things that I'm like, really? <laughs> um, that would just, you know, not even bother me, you know, that kind of thing. And um, so those things were kind of cropping up. And there was um, then this past year, um, I say I would say outside of the loss of a loved one at this stage, the, the most difficult thing was um, I'd had, I had uh, spiritual, what I would say is, is a voice that would wake me up every morning around 2, 3 a.m., um, and I could tell that that voice was outside of myself. I could tell that it was not something that I actually wanted to do, that it was trying to propel me to, to think about and or to enact on this. And it was a voice that was trying to tell me to commit suicide. It was a voice that was trying to tell me, stop pastoring, step away. You can't carry this call. With everything else in your life, you can't do it. You need to just stop People aren't, you know, you need to just take your life. You need to kill yourself. People aren't even going to care. And, and this is the thing is that I don't feel that way. But I could hear this voice. And, and it's the strongest spiritual warfare I have ever experienced. 
Um, and it was in um, January or February, February, we hold something called an encounter retreat where people come and they can get healed from our church. And even right up to a couple of days before, the enemy was saying, don't do the encounter retreat. And this would have been, if I had done that, this would have been the first one that I didn't um, involve myself in. But a couple of days before the encounter retreat, um, I was in prayer. And honestly, I was doing what a person would do who is alive in a coffin, in a grave, going, God, I can't do this. You have got to come and silence this voice. And in, a, in an instant, then that song that we sang called Raise a Hallelujah, it came on. And in the midst of that, in seconds, that voice was broken. And there was just victory that came over me. And what I realized, actually, even in that moment, that I had been speaking into some things that were over some unsaved loved ones. And I was calling them into the kingdom. And I felt like God was about to bring a breakthrough over my entire family. And in those moments, I was saying to the enemy, enemy, you cannot have my family. You cannot have my relationships. You cannot have the very call of God on my life. I am not going to back down. I am not going to retreat. I am not going to stop. I am going to keep forward. And in the midst of that, it's the victory out of the battle. You don't have a victory without the battle. Um, and so those are some of the circumstances that I've been going through in my life. And, and in that, then, um, I just felt like there was this one statement um, that might seem really strange, that I really feel like I want to share this with you this morning, is that God says that sometimes... His activity can look like it's the enemy's. And I'm going to say that again. Sometimes God's activity looks like the enemy's. And I'm going to clarify it this way. Is that when the Hebrew nation was in bondage in Egypt, it looked like the activity of the enemy. They were captive. They were in bondage. They were not in their own land. They were not fulfilling the promise that God had them, had for them. But it had been prophesied that the Hebrews would be in Egypt for a certain period of time. And then God would bring them out. And do you know when the Hebrews left Egypt and they went to the Red Sea and they're crossing the Red Sea and Pharaoh, all of Pharaoh's armies are coming out after them. It could again go, God, it okay, I thought this was your activity, God, but here's all of the enemy's activity coming at me. What are you doing, God? And they're in this place of pressure and constriction and going, okay, I don't see any way out of this. But God brings them through the Red Sea, and as he brings them out on the other side, and the enemies are following them, then God causes the waters to collapse over all of their enemies. And so God's, the enemy's, or God's activity can at times look like it's the enemy's. But it's actually God working on your behalf to bring you into a complete and utter freedom from the enemy. He's bringing you through the battle into that place of victory. Amen? And then he, re, he reminded me then, too, of, of Jesus. When Jesus went to the cross and he was crucified and he was buried... And then he was resurrected. When, when Jesus went to the cross, the disciples for sure thought, Jesus, we thought you were the Messiah. Jesus, we thought that, that you were going to be the Savior of, of not only Israel, but of the world. We believed in you, Jesus, but here you are dying on the cross. Here you are in this circumstance that has crushed you beyond, um, it says that Jesus was so disfigured from being beaten and tortured that they couldn't even recognize him. Does that not look like the enemy's activity? Ah, oh, but Jesus died and he went into that tomb. But he didn't stay in the tomb. He was resurrected. He came to life. And out of that life, he brought us. 
He brought billions of Christians into the world. And when you look at that, you go, okay, that looked like the enemy's activity, but it actually was God's activity, and it was God getting the victory, and it was God giving the aha, and it was God saying, enemy, you cannot have my children. For those who want to believe in me, for those who want to come to salvation, for those who want to be in the kingdom of God, there's my son who has taken back the keys of the enemy, his taken back all that the enemy has stolen and will try to steal and for those who will stand in the midst of their circumstances for those who will stand in the midst of their battles for those who will come into that wide open spacious life and allow me to breathe my breath in and over them that will allow me to just love on them in the midst of their contradictory circumstances those circumstances that look like the enemy I feel like God is saying it is my activity do not be afraid my my children, it is my activity. The things that the enemy is using to try to take you down, to take you out, to crush you, to kill you, to break you. I am taking those things and I am using them for my good. I'm using them for my glory. And today he is speaking and breathing his breath and his life over you. And he's inviting you in the midst of those pressures come into that wide open spacious life. Thank you for taking the time to listen to one of our messages from Impact Church. We hope and trust that this message encouraged you. If you want to find out more information about our church, check us out online at www.impactkingston.com. 